and welcome to the first ever episode of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am your host, Freeloader, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sabaiku. Sabaiku. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Fantastic. How are you doing today? Well, I am excited for our first episode of this podcast, I can tell you that. I think we're going to go a little different this time. So uh, for those of you who are fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to stumble upon this and listen, every episode is not going to quite be like this. We're going to try to give you a little more uh, background on us and our views on the game than we will in a normal episode. Uh, But we're going to hopefully give some of you an idea of where we're coming from so that in future podcast if you're listening to us and wondering this is going to be a little different than most of the episodes of this podcast uh Sabaiku and i are going to give you more background on us as players and how we came into the game and what our views are of the game sort of fundamentally uh so that we can create a framework through which we review cards and decks in future episodes so if you're unfortunate enough to stumble upon this episode and listen to it first off god bless and uh second off um not every episode is going to quite be like that that's right this episode we're going to lay down a foundation we're going to let you know where we're coming from and that'll really inform a lot of the future discussion that we have that assumes that the future discussion we have is informed at all Depends on how many beers I've had before we start. Well, we are the Brood Sages. Uh, so, Sabaika, would you like to get started, give a little background of who you are as a player, where your background is? Um, obviously, start probably, I'm going to say, with Magic the Gathering, how many years you played yeah. that. So, as far as serious card games go, I've really only played a couple of uh, collectible or trading card games uh for an extended period of time it started in high school playing magic the gathering back in the day that was over 20 years ago now um and really kind of put it down put card games in general down for a long time until i picked up hearthstone uh that was a game that i played really pretty much daily for about six years uh before it got untenable and i didn't want to continue anymore uh at that point freeloader had found stormbound kind of by random chance and we both started playing we've been in it about six months now seven i think seven months now i think we have finished our sixth full month uh as of this recording in august at the end of august our first month was a partial month where we uh, were in the silver league we have in those six full months both made it to diamond one and i think that gives us really an interesting perspective on the game in that we are still new and still learning having been in the game a relatively short period of time but we've also made it to the highest level in the game yeah and just to jump on the on on that same uh train i also started uh magic the gathering in high school uh specifically because of sabaiku uh he introduced me to the game um i played that through college got away from it as well to start a career and a adult life quote unquote um got into hearthstone specifically because sabaiku introduced me to the game Played that for about five and a half years. I got out a little earlier than Subaiku did. Um, 
I played in uh, the THL, uh, uh, Hearthstone uh, uh, Competitive Team League, for several seasons. Uh, won a championship. I, I, I won a championship while I was there and uh, uh, really enjoyed that for a while. But uh, found Hearthstone kind of got a little stale to me. Um, the, the cycling of uh, introducing new cards that were broken into uh, community complaints, into nerfs, into repeat and rinse as needed just got to be a little too much for me um and so yeah we we, we uh, started searching for a new game we found stormbound and it took about i would say about four months to make diamond for, for for us and then we needed to take a pause there mostly because the the game has some interesting sort of ceilings that are artificially created by card leveling um i'm not sure that i would have known enough about the game early on um, so in some ways i'm actually rather thankful that the game is set up in such a way that it kind of forces you to spend some time learning the game as you level your cards up i, I think by the time seasons five and six came around we were ready to hit d1 both in terms of obviously card levels but also an, a, a, a better understanding of of the higher level game of play that's needed to win through diamond I will agree with that. The The game, I think, in general, I think the game slows you down a little more than I would like in terms of progression. And I say that because you are, if you are a good player with, say, level two and three cards, you are constantly beating your head against players with level four cards. And it's, it's just a little more challenging to overcome a multi-level card disparity if you're all level fours playing against all level fives i think in general that's more viable than level twos and threes competing against somebody with level fours and fives it's interesting that you say that because we both made uh diamond in four and five months we both made d1 diamond one you know six six and a half months something like that i was in my sixth season you were in your fifth season on the very last day so the question is when did you first make legend in hearthstone now that's a good point um because i was definitely years into hearthstone at least a year into hearthstone before i oh. made legend for the first time you introduced hold on what? hold on hold on hold on because because all cards on the Dude, table you, you have data here you introduced me to the game right after my daughter was born mm -hmm. i made legend before you did mm -hmm. in fact i made legend before they changed the rule about uh resetting four uh, uh four levels below your finish right or five levels below whatever it was right. so i had Be to... before the floors were introduced Be before the ranks 15 10 and 5 correct i believe my daughter was over uh, I, I believe it was june of the year that my daughter was three years old so that would be give or take three years and a month or two that i took to make legend and you made legend i want to say maybe a month or two after that so it was years uh, before. no it was actually significantly later than that what you're remembering is a run that i made where i got to rank one with full stars lost that last game a couple times and didn't quite make legend oh my gosh you're right now you're absolutely right I will say in Hearthstone, it is less a function of how well you play and more a function of how much you play, simply because when there was no floor or it, it, it's like in Stormbound, if you started off at bronze again every single season on the reset, every single month you start off in bronze and you have to make your way back up. It's not that it's difficult 
to win games in bronze and silver and in gold. It's just that it takes time. And if you're only playing a couple games a day, you just don't put in enough time to make that happen. Right. And I believe the first month after the floors were introduced is the first month that I made Legend and basically made it whenever I felt like putting the time in after that. So do but, you, right, and we, we both made Legend multiple times in, in, in Hearthstone, but do you think, because I want to bring this back to Stormbound now, do mm-hmm. you think that the laddering ranking system in Stormbound was, or, or I should say felt, unfixable like you know with without better card levels i this is just as high as i can get do you think that do you do you think that feeling is different than the feeling we had when we couldn't get past let's say rank 10 to 5 and we were just getting you know 10 to 5 every month do you think that feeling is different solely on the basis of well i would make it higher if i had better more time Yeah, I do think the the feeling is different between the two games because in Stormbound, I feel like I need more resources to compete. And whether those resources are fusion zones or gold or cards, however you want to define that, I know that the answer is if I had more resources, I would be even with my opponents, not even not even have an advantage over them just be at a level playing field with them whereas in a hearthstone you're already going in even the question is just can i play better than a 50 percent win rate the answer is definitely yes how much better than 50 percent really depended on how good the deck was right when i was playing pirate warrior with patches it was way higher than 50 percent in every month the cycle was we would compete and stay floating with decks that were fun but not as good and then we would switch to pirate warrior in the last week of the month and blow through ranks you know seven six uh, on our way to rank five just to make sure we got the better reward chest at rank five see i, I it's interesting that that's how you remember the game because um i a lot of like life events happened to me during our tenure in Hearthstone. So obviously we started right after my daughter was born. Three years into that, or two and a half years into that, uh, we bought another house and we moved. And, you know, we've since moved again. So I've got all of these sort of, you know, life events that I tie things to. And I vividly remember the house two years ago, or two homes ago, pardon me, uh, when we were just getting started, how I was playing uh, nothing but Zulok because I couldn't build any other deck. And then we had, so we had, we had Zulok. And then after a while, we finally unlocked BLM or BRM, Black Rock Mountain, pardon me. Uh, we, we finally unlocked BRM. And suddenly I had Quick Shot and we could play mid range hunter now because I had Quick Shot. And uh, I, I just remember for so long being outclassed playing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a token style Zulok into Grim Reaper or Grim Patron, pardon me, uh, Warrior. And how, you know, we were just like deck after deck was just outclassing what I could put down until finally we got to the stage, which took three years to have a library strong enough that, uh, and that was around the time that uh, Mean Streets of Gadgetson came out and we had access to patches and, but, but it took us, it took us years to get a library stable enough, especially in the classic set of Hearthstone, such that we were able to build give or take whatever deck we wanted. 
That is fair, and I might be looking back for the rose-colored glasses because that those early couple years were so long ago. But it also didn't feel like you were really beating your head against the wall because every month you would finish a little higher on ladder. You know, finish at rank seventeen, then rank fifteen, then rank twelve, and then pretty soon we were consistently making rank ten, and it was just always we were always doing better. And you don't feel Here, like you have in, in Stormbound every month? You've well, done better? Every month I have done better, and I'm not disagreeing with that. But that's fair. I don't know why it feels different to me. I think it feels different because I do, for the most part, have the cards, except for Dr. Mia. And I can build the decks just that I built the same deck my opponent has, and I lose because my decks have cards that are just worse than my opponent's, even though they're the same cards. And that feels bad. See, I think that you finally hit the nail on the head as to where I see the discrepancy. When we when we started in Hearthstone, we had three years of not being able to play the decks that everybody else could. In Stormbound, within weeks, we were able to play most of the decks that are, you know, very similar mixes of most of the decks that we were competing against. The difference was literally my gifted recruits loses to your gifted recruits. Like like one for one, each card in our deck just sucked a little more than the, the cards uh, that we were playing against. And and so it creates this weird feeling of I'm playing the same deck you're playing, and yet somehow the deck is stacked against me. Yeah. Right. Somehow it's... I'm still the underdog, and I need to play better and play smarter than everyone I face. And even now, um, my base health is 16. I still really only match up with people that are 17, 18, 19, 20. I, I will give a big shout out to uh, Sheepyard for the choice of limiting the base health in the um, leagues until Diamond, obviously. But I feel like limiting uh, base health to 17 in Platinum, for example, was a really fair and, and, and reasonable thing to do to the game to make it. Uh, this last season was a lot more enjoyable in terms of uh, just sort of feeling like there was parity between me and my opponents. Although it did make it right. much harder to, to, to know what level cards to expect. You see the base 17, you're like, I don't know, is it going to be a level 3 opener, a level 5 opener? Let's find out. And that could be frustrating when you're trying to play around specific cards, but knowing there was a cap on the amount of damage that I had to do really helped when your cards are a little underleveled. You know, yeah. my, my line limbs were level three to start off the month, and knowing that that was still good enough because that extra point of damage didn't matter. It wasn't the difference between am I trying to do 17, 18, 19 points of damage. It was just I know I need to hit 17. So three is good enough. If I boost these up to level four, it's a bonus, but it's not a requirement. Overall, just to put a, an end cap on this particular section of our discussion about our migration from Hearthstone to Stormbound and trying to feel out the differences. And and um, certainly there's different frustrations in both games. I I, I would say that I uh, Hearthstone was, was a, a deeper love for me than Magic ever was. I, I absolutely adored Magic spent money that I'm embarrassed to admit on Magic. Hearthstone for a very long time was a huge love for me, uh, but it was a bittersweet ending. I'm happy I'm out of Hearthstone. I would say overall, yes, there are some frustrations in Stormbound, but I think that's going to be true of any game you play. Personally, 
I would say that uh, I have found a second love. I really enjoy this game to the point that I want to make a podcast about it. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. So uh, for you, is this just a good replacement because you're sick of Hearthstone? Or is this truly in and of itself a game that you feel is worthy of your uh, time and attention? Uh, This is definitely not just a rebound because I broke up with Hearthstone. This is a different game. The mechanics are different. The way the game plays, the way the game feels is different. I enjoy it very much for what it is. It is not, it is a replacement in the sense that Hearthstone was a game that I played every day and I no longer wanted to do that, but it's definitely not a just good enough for right now kind of thing. This is this game that, that was created by Paladin and now picked up by Sheepyard is a beautiful little self-contained game. It is fantastic. It is fun. It is easy to learn and hard to master. And that's really everything that I was trying to find. Agreed. So moving on from there, we're going to, um, for this particular episode, like I said, we're going to kind of give our takes on the four factions of Stormbound. We have not discussed ahead of time who's going to take which one. So I will defer to you, Sabaiku. You take your picks as to which two you want, and then go ahead and start with the first one. Just kind of give an introduction to it and talk about, um, you know, some of the mechanics that are uh, specific to it and uh, the kinds of decks that you would expect to build with those mechanics. I'm going to start with Shadowfen because that is the primary faction that I play. Uh, it, for some reason, it was the first one that I tried out, and as soon as I started playing it, I knew it was right for me. It is the most interesting of the factions, I think, because the two mechanics that it works with are very, very different. There is a convert mechanic in which you swap enemy units to your side, and there is a poison mechanic where you damage enemy units. And there is a minor mechanic also in which you drain from enemy units uh this overlaps with the poison mechanic in the amber hide unit which is fantastic fun to poison an enemy unit drain it of its health and then use it to attack another enemy unit in general i like shadowfen quite a bit because it is about turning your opponent's strength against it I would, I would, I was going to just say, jump in, please. Yeah. I I would point out that the, uh, the two main mechanics actually kind of work against each other. Um, A poisoned minion maintains its poison. So it it loses health every turn, which makes uh, poisoned units less enticing targets for conversion. So the two mechanics. And that's good because it creates two distinct, different deck types. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Which I, which I think is important. One of the reasons that I like Shadowfin quite a bit is because there is a lot of flexibility when you are you are turning your opponent's strength into a weakness when you convert it. And also uh, Toxic Sacrifice is an incredibly powerful card that is very flexible. You can use it to clear your opponent's units. You can use it to clear your own units to create room for for runners. You can use it to poison your opponent's units. It can do a lot of a lot of very different things. And at just one mana, you can use it in 
pretty much any situation. So that's as a as a puzzle box. Shadowfin also has some of my favorite tools in Toxic Sacrifice, Azure Hatcher, Faithless Prophets, cards that can do different things in different scenarios. And it always it, it keeps your brain working during the game, trying to figure out do I use this in a straightforward manner or do I try to combo this with another card or try to use this in an off-brand kind of way. Now, the deck that I run primarily is a rush deck, which takes advantage of a couple of key Shadowfin cards that are overstatted two and three drops, Dubious Hag, Heliotropes, and Faithless Prophets. We're just looking to put a lot of pressure on early with these powerful, cheap minions. Put more on the board than your opponent can clear so you can keep front get in chip damage and then finish the game off with reign of frogs and obsidian butchers which is a fantastic combo you drain your own unit to push damage into the opponent's base using the butchers i used to run the hairy chestnuts before they were modified in the last patch Uh, they were balanced so they are no longer as strong as they used to be but if i got those up to level five i would definitely run those again it's interesting. I, I don't actually see a ton of level five chestnuts, even in decks that are effectively all level five cards. Uh, the the elders seem to not be at uh, level five for the vast majority of players out there. I think that's mostly a function of their rarity, as well as once they were nerfed and no longer as powerful as they used to be, it became less of a requirement to run it and more freedom to operate in different uh, different parts of the design space. I think that's fair. The only thing I'll add uh, is I think that thematically, one of the things in Shadowfen that's very interesting is your minions, or minions, pardon me, your units are overstatted, but that's because Shadowfen seems to have a preponderance of units with drawbacks. Thinking specifically Faithless Prophets, Dubious Hags, and Heliotropes, uh, or Heliotroopers, pardon me, uh, the three cards that you uh, mentioned earlier. Um, there, there's a sort of a thematic Shadow Femme thing where your units are actually, they're conflicted, for lack of a better term. Or, 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 give me they, another. They are over, overpowered for their cost, but... The drawbacks are typically something you can take advantage of. For example, Dubious Hags leaves behind a a one-strength unit for your opponent, which then you can take advantage of with Obsidian Butchers or Klaxi and turn it into a strength for a future unit. Uh, Heliotroopers are poisoned, which means you can have them survive a trade and then hit them with your own Mark to Spray and turn them into something bigger again. Or brood sages, right? Or brood sages and create one strength toads for yourself. Uh, All these downsides are actually all thematically and from a design standpoint within the space that Shadowfen has carved out. Excellent. So I will uh, uh, take the next one since you chose Shadowfen, which is my favorite too, damn you. 
Um, I'll go with Swarm. Uh, Swarm thematically has two pieces to it. The first is uh, this idea that you kind of spawn and buff. Uh, Swarm likes to have just a whole bunch of small minions spawn everywhere all over the board and cards like Pan Heralds or Moonlit Airy that then buff all the satyrs uh, and make them bigger. The other thing that used to be unique to Swarm but is no longer is the idea of chip damage. There are other cards like Mischiefs, uh, for example, that um, upon play just automatically deal damage to your opponent's face. The two actually, believe it or not, are, are thematically, they seem dissimilar, but they can oftentimes be helpful together. If you're looking to make a chip deck, a lot of times all you want to do is clog the board and make it impossible for your opponent to ever attack your base. Uh, and so Swarm can sometimes be helpful in that way. Uh, the one thing that Swarm has, one mechanic that it has that allows the swarm concept to work is the command mechanic. So Forgotten Souls and Herald's Hymn being the two most uh, notable, although there is Petrified Fossils if you need the shout out. Um, the idea being that, uh, yes, you make all these units that don't move or barely move. Uh, they grow, they get bigger, they get bigger, uh, but the army is not reaching the base. It's not actually doing any damage. You can accelerate that march down the board with these cards that command all your units forward or one specific unit forward that's part of the reason why as an aggressive deck swarm tends to be the uh, most successful yes you can make an aggressive deck with any of the factions but your your rush style decks uh, in swarm have been you know a bit easier to achieve with lower levels big shout out to reckless his uh, deck which i have used quite a bit to just literally fly through three cards, four cards played a turn uh, until you can drop a, a Potion of Growth Forgotten Souls or a Devastator's Forgotten Souls for lethal. That style deck is much easier to create, effectively at least, in Swarm than any other faction because of the existence of Forgotten Souls and or Herald's Hymn, whichever one uh, you prefer. You did talk about zoo decks earlier in hearthstone and i think that style of swarm deck is the most analogous to a zoo deck it is flood the board with cheap units your opponent can't clear everything you do a lot of chip damage and then eventually there is a finisher uh what makes swarm interesting to me is the ability to spawn a lot of tokens you can really fill up the board very quickly especially if you have high level cards uh, and that allows you to like you said buff and finish with potion of growth and forgotten souls or herald him and it, it can really take a game that looks like it's going to go long and make it very short yeah, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about th those style decks is that any unit in the deck can be the finisher. All it needs is Potion of Growth put on it and Forgotten Souls to shove it over the finish line. So there is no one particular card that you're necessarily, you know, struggling to cycle through and find. You know, you can you can set up a board with three units this turn holding on to forgotten souls and odds are i mean you've just you've cycled through almost half your deck already right there uh, between the three you just played the odds are you know the three you're about to draw your odds of finding pog are pretty good all right so would you like to take the next faction next faction i'll go with 
ironclad which is thematically similar to swarm in one respect it does like to create units and buff them but specifically it likes to buff constructs through mechanics like linked golem or uh, upgrade point uh, there are also non-specific buffs like fortification tonic or debug lockers but it, it likes to really work with that tribal synergy around the construct. It's also got some secondary push-pull mechanics, which are very interesting and a lot of fun to play with. Uh, ozone purifiers or windmakers pushing units away. And that that can be a lot of fun to work with and create some interesting puzzles. And then you also have the additional synergy of towers and mia so ironclad decks can play with structures in a way that other factions really cannot what this does specifically for ironclads is it gives them a way to compete in the early game with aggressive decks like Shadow Fenrush decks or Swarm decks through the use of buffing units like Green Gale Serpents, which even buff themselves as they trade into multiple units from your opponent, or allows you to hit a opener like green prototypes into linked golems that your opponent just simply can never recover from. There's a lot of snowball opportunities in the early game. The early game is very strong, but also there's a lot of value in the late game that makes a lot of ironclad decks very flexible, uh, as well as the structure synergy, which is, like I said, unique and gives the play style something a little more interesting than what other factions do. It's interesting, I'll throw out there, that the push-pull mechanic, while a ton of fun, currently in the meta just doesn't seem to actually be effective. That is fair. Windmakers, while while Windmakers do push, they also uh, deal damage, and the damage dealing is fundamentally more critical than the actual push mechanic. The push mechanic is more of a stall than an outright clear, and typically it is preferable to clear your opponent's unit rather than just delay for a couple turns. It's also the only class I would put out there that really is fundamentally reliant on a legendary to make one of its themes effective. So we didn't get into this with Shadowfen, but Shadowfen does have a theme where you create a lot of small tokens through Brood Sages, through Rain, through Azure Hatcher. And while it is not necessary that you have Bragda to make that work, it sure does make that work a heck of a lot better. You can also have Klaxi to make it work, but that's more mana and later in the game. And that's obviously less preferable. Earlier is always better. Well, sure. But if you're looking for earlier, then Obsidian Butchers is even faster and it ends the game as opposed to just creating a whole bunch of value, right? Butchers ends the game if you are close enough for that to happen. There are plenty of times when I look at my Butchers and they're going to hit for 10 and my opponent is at 12 and I have to start thinking, is this actually worth it to take this punch now? Should I try to keep my front and try to do lethal damage later in the game? Or is it worth it to take this punch for 10 and then try to fight my way back down the board to sneak in a runner for the last two damage later? That's fair. With Bragda, you're not making that choice. You are just saying, 
I'm going to create overwhelming value on this turn. You can't recover because I'm putting just too many stats on the board, and now the game is mine. Reasonable, but but I, I would say the the structure style ironclad decks are more dependent on Mia than Shadowfen frog spam or toad spam or you know token style decks are dependent on either Klaxi or Bragda. You're catching me at a good time with this because I do not have Mia in my collection and we just <laughs> finished the structure brawl and uh, when all the towers cost two less and you don't have Mia that is essentially unwinnable whenever you play another ironclad deck so I will agree with you that Mia is a requirement to make that work because the effect is unique no matter what level your Mia is. If you have it at level one or at level five, you're still triggering the structures. And without Mia, you're just not. And that's it just doesn't work without that. Right. All right. And then the last faction in Stormbound is neutral. There used to be Winter Pact, but it got nerfed out of existence. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> I do. I will say I do still run into Winter Pact players after the balance changes. They are still perfectly viable. Yeah, yes. Shout, shout out to all those Winter Pack players who obstinately continue to play an irrelevant class in Stormbound. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that it's the only class that you've leveled up to level five cards and uh, way to stick with it, buddy. <laughs> well, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier. It takes a lot of time and a lot of resources to level up your cards to the point where they are competitive. If you have picked a faction and those cards are changed, you're kind of just out of luck. You have to spend another six months leveling up your cards in a different faction and accumulating resources. And it feels like starting from scratch. I mean, that that is fair to an extent. And I would agree with that. Uh, I would more agree with that if we were talking about uh, Shadowfen or Ironclad, which I feel are two classes that tend to be um uh playing more class specific cards or pardon me faction specific cards swarm and especially winter pack uh play a ton of neutrals you know I, it, it is not unusual to see someone posting a uh, an effective winter pack deck that literally has three or four winter pack cards in it and the other you know eight nine cards are uh neutrals that's Just, fair However, those do tend to be more rush or aggressive decks, which is not a playstyle that Winter Pack really naturally gravitates to. No, that's Winter true. Pack, that's Winter true. Pack has a lot of high mana cost cards, a lot of freeze effect, and a lot of mana acceleration effect, like Rhymelings and Gift of the Wise and Frozen Core. Now, those lend themselves to decks with a higher mana curve because you can do more on a turn when you ramp your mana. So saying that, wow, this this Winter Pack deck leans on a lot of neutral ones and twos is not surprising because there are no real aggressive Winter Pack ones and twos. Right. That's 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 very true. So so we've been going through and talking about the mechanics in, in each uh, class. The mechanics for Winter Pack are uh, primarily... Uh, centered around freeze effects and uh, synergies with freeze effects. And freeze effects obviously just stop your opponent's units from being able to move at the start of their turn. And then the other mechanic is uh, surrounding uh, uh, ramp or mana ramp or mana gain, depending upon what game you play or, or, or are familiar with. 
uh, you'll recognize one of those terms. And uh, Winter Pact is the Druid for you Hearthstone players out there. It's the Druid class of Stormbound. It gets all the mana ramp stuff. Interestingly, it's actually the faction that has the best synergy between its two main mechanics, I would say, because yes. you can't really effectively ramp and lose tempo and give up on turns to do things like play a tower and nothing else without having some sort of stall mechanism to delay your opponent's aggression until you get the payoff from those early investments. And so it's almost impossible, I think, I, I'm not going to say totally impossible, but it's almost impossible to play a ramp style, big, aggressive, juicy winter pack deck without at least some freeze effects to help stall until you can play your, you know, whatever it is, your, your mad bombers or your victors of the melee or your siren, like, you know, wh whatever it is that you use to kind of try to turn the board late. Um, so of the four factions, it had the best synergies between its two. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how you look at it, uh, the recent nerfs to the game that Sheepyard brought out slowed down the mana gain to a level that has made uh, it apparent that the other non-mana gain, non-freeze cards in Winter Pact are really sadly <laughs> insufficient to keep the the, the faction uh, uh, within the sort of meta. So yes, people who have extremely overpowered all level five style cards even now can easily make it into diamond and above with Winter Pact. But for everybody else, Winter Pact has become really hard to play because with the, the, the one big sort of payoff and super powered mechanic being nerfed and froze, uh, the freeze effects had already been previously nerfed by Paladin, the end result is just a, a class that currently at least struggles to have anything with the same power level as the other three factions. I have uh, posited this before, and I'll, I'll say it again now, and I don't know if now's the exact time to have this conversation, but um, I am of the opinion that, that ramp uh, just constricts design space too much in any game. Uh, whenever you see ramp, the faction or class or whatever you want to think of it uh, that has ramp tends to have one of two things, either complete dominance over the entire game or incredibly crappy cards that you simply never want to play despite having all the mana in the world to do so. Um, <laughs> the, the, but those are the problems, right? Is you want to give a payoff. There, there's no point in, in passing on your first couple of turns just to try to gain mana on subsequent turns if there isn't some great payoff. But if you make that payoff actually worth the price that you pay, then the deck itself just becomes too powerful, right? Like anybody who whiffs on a turn or misses a a, a perfectly mana efficient turn playing against those style decks suddenly find themselves uh, housed. And, you know, you, you can see this, the pendulum swing back and forth. I, I recall for quite a while in, in, in Hearthstone where Druid uh, was terrible because it was just getting run over by all these aggressive decks. Suddenly you get Spreading Plague and oops, now it's the most powerful class in the entire game. Because as soon as you give them enough time to ramp, you run into this problem that, well, the late game is too powerful and no other faction class, what have you, can possibly answer it. 
Yes and no. You talk about payoff being the problem. And in Druid, it was not just spreading plague as a stall mechanism, but ultimate infestation as a payoff. You got to 10 mana and you immediately removed a minion from the board, put a minion on the board, had some health gain, and drew a bunch of additional cards to spend now that you were at 10 mana ahead of your opponent's schedule. That's very fair. That's in right in Stormbound, the payoff for mana acceleration is a big lady rhyme or the ability to play more units than the than your opponent can play, or the ability to play something like Siren of the Seas, which can clear multiple units for a relatively small nine mana which isn't concerned when you have gift of the wise and you have well over nine mana to spend on turn what used to be turn seven what is now turn eight yeah i mean so, so yes going back to to the analogy in hearthstone i would argue that without spreading plague ultimate infestation was an irrelevant card because the game never got there and without ultimate infestation spreading plague was an irrelevant card because you weren't stalling for anything in particular and it's certainly true that the the card draw was ridiculous in it but you know bring that back to stormbound now and you know with freebooters you don't actually need to have a uber powerful totally unplayable until turn eight unless you manage to hit your ramp style card you can play a mana ramp deck with freebooters and just have effectively a mid-range deck that is unfairly if you will able to play you know six seven cards a turn because of freebooters right so none of the cards are necessarily overpowering but the turns are because all of these sort of mid-range sized units uh there's just too many of them being played at once when you when you add up the total health being dropped on the board across multiple units it's just unrecoverable that's fair and that's a legitimate concern and honestly i am surprised when anybody builds a winter pack in a way that doesn't take advantage of relatively cheap units and gift of the wise and freebooters but to that point it is really easy to get stuck with a hand where you're playing gift of the wise and freebooters and you draw a few cards and you're still only playing eight or nine mana worth of stuff yes Yes, it's more cards than your opponent but you're not spending more mana than your opponent and that kind of balances it out and the only way to make that deck work consistently is to not have a high mana curve so you're never really taking advantage of gift in the first place right you see where i'm going with that yes we've we've experimented with this quite a bit uh centered around the card mistwives where we're trying to just put the most aggressive rush deck we can uh filled with cards that activate mistwives so four health or above and uh fitting gift into it with or without freebooters it's been underwhelming because as it turns out the whole hand is just playable without the gift you know now part of that is a function of our freebooters still being level three at least my believe yours are two they only draw one additional card they don't draw two yes that drawing is two cards is more than twice as good as drawing one card oh no doubt it is, no, it is no exponentially doubt. better however oh, okay. with, so, with yeah. that being with that being said you can still very easily get in a situation where you can dump your whole hand and the extra mana is not 
helpful. So at that point, you you just have to think to yourself, is this even worth worth including in my deck? And a lot of times the answer is no, because you don't have a top end that's taking advantage of it. Right, exactly. Um, it's interesting to note that the only real way for winter to take advantage of the you know obscene amount of mana generation that it can create late game is lady rhyme or visions of the grove and and it turns out that neither of them are particularly effective um with confinement being in the game lady rhyme has a limited amount of use um i mean you sure you you can win any game that you can get into the late game and play lady rhyme when your opponent doesn't have it but expecting the meta to not have confinement is probably ill-advised and on uh, the other hand you're taking advantage of any opponent that tries to run an optimized deck because confinement is not something you want to shoehorn in anything other than a defensive deck yeah that's that that is very true uh and then and visions of the grove wow a really cool deck or a card and concept it turns out without enough uh delay the, the the deck just can't work uh freeze effects either need to be a lot stronger or there needs to be more aoe in the game or something it's just very yeah. difficult to ever use uh visions of the grove as an actual win condition despite the fact that it is such a cool mechanic it's a cool mechanic it's just as it is the only card in the faction with that mechanic and as a one of like that it's so hard to cycle back to it again and again and again as your win condition even now I level three we, we have spent way too long talking about the winter pack which is not currently in the game but i do <laughs> think it, it it's an interesting class so i understand why all right let me give you some rapid fire questions here okay what is the best faction for a new player go i would recommend for a new player uh probably shadowfen or swarm uh both of which have it, this isn't this isn't a two pick one pick one oh man ah. I mean, personally, I went with Shadowfen, and it made me D1 in like five and a half months. So I would say that, but I don't know. I, I think Shadowfen. the right answer is Swarm is, I think, a little more straightforward to play and easier to build. You you do need some rare and epic cards in Shadowfen to make it work. You need fewer of those in Swarm, so I would have gone with Swarm. Do, do, All right. I, I, I actually don't think you need more epic cards in Shadowfen than you need in Swarm. I think you need the same number. Fair. But anyway. I I had I played Shadowfin early on with Soul Crushers because I packed a lot of them early and got it up to level three very quickly. <laughs> and it turns out gold gold rank level three soul crushers really does some work for you when do some games. Um and then I moved on to incorporating brood sages into a lot of my decks, which is another epic. Uh, and I played Claxi a lot early. So Toxic Sacrifice and Witches are, are two cards that just... F- first off, if if it's ever a tie between two factions, the next question is, well, which one beats which? And Shadowfen destroys Swarm. So in the tiebreaker between those classes, I would say it's Shadowfen just because, well, if nothing else, you'll beat up on all the Swarm players. <laughs> That's reasonable. That leads me into the next question, which is the most flexible faction. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Shadowfen is the most flexible. That's the other reason why I think for a new player, you should invest in Shadowfen is because if, if you're an aggressive style player, great. You know what? There's incredibly effective aggressive style decks. Uh, David G has a Shadowfen deck that I, I think tops out at four. It might top out at three. It tops mana. out at three. It's insane. It tops out at three mana. Three mana. 
meta. He made D1 with it. On the hard control side of things, there's so many good uh, control options in the class. In, in fact, Frosticon has created a, a deck that is all control and chip. It never bothers trying to ever put a minion on your uh, opponent's base. Its only goal is to just protect and protect and protect and chip and chip and chip and it is an effective diamond one deck as well uh so i would say there's there's no doubt about it there's there's only one class that that, that sits at the top of the flexibility uh podium all right what is the most resource intensive most expensive mm. faction well because winter doesn't exist as a faction currently it's going to go to ironclad Ironclad, you know, has two problems to it. One, the aggressive style Ironclad decks really want to run like green prototypes and destructobots with linked golems. And linked golems is an epic. And so the and deck... protos and destructobots are both rares also. Right. Yeah, not for nothing. That's a very expensive set of open air cards. And your ability to punch up is totally dependent upon landing a linked golems and snowballing from there. Well, if your linked golems isn't a high enough level for you to ever begin the snowball effect, then guess what? You're, you're out of luck. And then the worst part is, okay, well, fine. I'm not going to try to play an aggressive deck uh, centered around linked golems openers. I'm going to try to play a structure deck. Do you have the legendary Mia? No. Well, then don't bother. <laughs> Just right. And we talked about that earlier. A controlling structure-based deck that runs True Shot and Mia, by definition, requires an epic and a legendary. Yeah, and, and, and Siege Assembly needs to be in there as well. But that's also, I believe, a rare at least, right? A rare, yes. It's just very difficult to make an ironclad deck at low levels be uh, you know excessively effective and punch above its weight. Meanwhile, when they're all at level five, let me tell you how effective that class can be. If you have a mature library and you have level five boomers, even level four boomers, but level five true shot and level five siege tower, holy smokes, is that an effective class? That's one of the best classes at D1, I believe. Especially after the recent balance changes, I will agree with that. All right, what is the most interesting faction? to you currently having hit diamond one with shadowfen it, the answer would have been shadowfen until i hit the diamond one and now the question is what do i want to look at next what am i personally most interested in and the answer to that is oddly enough i really want to try to make an aggressive dragon and or pirate ironclad deck so I'm going to say Ironclad right now has the most interest for me. There's some interesting effects. I, I really love Greengale Serpents. That's I'm going to give a shout out to one of the cards that I really want to try to find a way to incorporate into an effective rush style deck. Um, the problem is I'm finding it very difficult to synergize it with any other cheap dragons because all the other cheap dragons suck. Except for maybe Spare Dragonling, which is a value-oriented tool it's it's really not helpful in an aggressive style deck all right now on the flip side what is the least interesting faction to you the outside of a single card and i kid you not i have built i have built winter pack decks with mistwives frost taxers rhymelings and nothing else from the from the faction all other nine cards are neutrals because aside from mistwives there's really not a card in winter pack that gets me overly excited i love mistwives i love the concept of it i also simultaneously hate the concept of it because i feel like it punishes new players who don't have libraries filled with you know level four 
green prototypes, level four gifted recruits, et cetera, et cetera. But with that in mind, I feel like Mistwives is such a cool card. And when paired with, you know, other high level cards for a rush deck, it seems neat. The rest of the class really doesn't interest me much. That's fair. So I think we've produced more than enough content for tonight. (laughs) Um, I think when you cut it down to actually insightful and interesting things, we'll be down to about 10 minutes or so. So that's worth it. Well, don't worry. I won't cut it down that far. I'll even leave this banter in so that we can uh, be self-deprecating because who doesn't like a good self-deprecating podcast? Nobody likes podcasts with banter. Come on. Well, that's also true. Um, anyway, uh, for all of you who did hang on and listen to all of this, I'd like to say thank you very much. We really appreciate it. If you have any ideas or thoughts, feel free to reach out. The easiest way to get a hold of us is either through our Twitter. I am inappropriately at this point in my career named Freeloader HS at Twitter, or you can find us in the Stormbound Discord. If you uh, join the official Stormbound Discord, um, feel free to reach out and ask any questions. We'll try to incorporate those into our next uh, episode and we'll do our best to answer them um, either as uh, well as we can or as hilariously inaccurately as we can, whichever. And we'll leave it up to you to decide which one we did. Oftentimes we'll do both at the same time. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all very much for uh, listening tonight and uh, hope you enjoyed it and look for us uh, next time. Uh, Until then, this is Freeloader saying, I don't know what I'm saying. What am I saying? Sabaika, what am I saying? You're saying that you promise we'll be a little more polished in a couple of months. We're getting a couple episodes under our belt as we try to figure out what we're doing here and how we want this podcast to sound and what topics we want to cover. But until then, thank you. Have a good night and we'll talk to you soon.